again all my fabulous listeners and welcome along to the Glow West podcast. We're here to chat all about sex, sexuality and the body. As always I'm your host Dr Caroline West and I'm delighted to be a part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find all sorts of wonderful podcasts on politics, culture, society, trans rights and of course my favourite topic of sex. If you like what we do please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It really does help to keep the mics on or if you like please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to get in touch, it's um, Glow West Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So today I'm really excited to talk to my guest. I've wanted to chat to him for ages because he just does such amazing advocacy work amongst a million other things as well. Today I'm talking to Andrew Gerze, who is an award-winning disability awareness consultant and the chief disability officer and co-founder of Handy, which is a sex toy company that puts pleasure within reach for disabled people. Drew uses he and they pronouns and identifies proudly as disabled. He was the subject of an award-winning National Film Board of Canada documentary called Picture This. He's spoken all over the world on sex, disability and what it means to be a queer cripple. He's also the host of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. And that's been nominated for a Canadian Podcast Award, a QWERTY Award, and was chosen as an honoree at the 2020 Webby Awards. Andrew is also the creator of the viral hashtag Disabled People Are Hot. And you can find out more about Andrew by going to www.andrewgerza.com and connecting via social media at Andrew Gerza with an underscore at the end. Andrew, you busy bee. How are you keeping? Hello, good. How are you keeping, Caroline? It's been nice good. to be here. It's you, uh, you get around. You, you are a busy person. Yeah, I'm... I'm kind of a social media disability justice whore, I guess you could say. I, I, get around, I do get around. That's a good kind of horror. You know, we like horrors, so that's fine. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, where to start? You've got so much stuff to do. I suppose let's talk about your work with Handy because that's a really great sex toy company. Also a great name for, for a company. So Handy with an I. So how did that all come about? Yeah, that's actually a brother. It's a it's a it's a brother and sister story. My sister Heather Morrison is, is the CEO of the company, and we were. She, I was in Australia one day visiting her because she lives there, and we. She works in. She's got ten plus years of advertising background, and so we were talking one day just about brother and sister life stuff, and we were talking about the things that I would need to make my life easier, and we were chatting a little bit more and she goes well don't you work in sex and disability and I said yeah and we we're talking and she goes well aren't there sex toys for you that you could use to like help yourself and I kind of rolled my eyes and said well none of the toys are accessible to me and I showed her my hands I'll show them here and you know I said like you know they're not I can't really use any of the toys on the market because of my dexterity level and they don't really work for me and it's not really something that I want to do because they don't work and I've tested a bunch and they just don't work and so we talked some more and she goes well that sucks and then she said well do you want to make one and I was like hmm do I want to make a sex toy with my sister weird <laughs> I don't know and then like we started you know looking into it and putting the question of is this a problem for people with hand limitations we did a survey on reddit and just put the question out there to the community, like, is this something you want to engage in? Is this something that would work for you? And we had 
50 people, 50% of people say, you know, they, they have hand limitations that make it hard for them. 63% of people said they couldn't access self-pleasure because of their dexterity levels. And 92% of people said, when we asked them if you, if you want a toy like this, 92% of people said, we want a toy like this. So we realized very quickly that those percentages translated into hundreds of thousands of people worldwide who were not being serviced by this industry, dealt with this problem on a day-to-day basis. And we realized it was so much bigger than making a toy as a brother and sister team. It was like, we could change the world with this. So we immediately started, we realized it was a real thing and we could build a, a brand around that. And then as we built the brand, it wasn't so much around just the toy. It was like, there's a whole educational piece and a whole conversational piece around the toy. So when we were doing testing for the toy um, and our initial like discussion with the community, people were telling us stories about their sex life. And then we said, well, they're telling us all these stories. We could turn that into a book and we could turn that into something for disabled people to read and see themselves and for non-disabled people to read and go, I never understood sex and disability in this way. So we decided to curate a book. And so on top of the toy that we're creating, which with any luck, we'll be out of prototyping this year. um, We we curated a book called the the handy book of love lust and disability where we talked to 50 people from all over the world about their experiences with sex and disability and we asked them questions that you know most sexuality and disability books or you know any discussions of sex and disability don't go down so we asked things like you know how does sexuality and chronic pain feel how does it feel what is the worst sex you've ever had as a disabled person what is the best sex you ever had as a disabled person like stuff that really gets into the nuances of sex and disability that I don't think people are are, have heard before and I think disabled people are clamoring for that emotional piece and so that's one of the things that I am so excited about by the book is that it gives disabled people a, a place to land and say (laughs) and say you're included here and it gives non-disabled people a chance to read it and go oh I never realized yeah absolutely and and that's like you're saying there's such the gap is there of people going oh just because you may use a wheelchair doesn't mean that like you don't have a sex drive at the same time you know but people just don't seem to think that disabled people are either into sex or having sex or think about sex it just is is this blank spot that's just not there in their lives and of course that's not true and I mean unfortunately it's because we have thousands of years of laws and Mm. history and um like I'm thinking of of those back in the 18th and 19th century called the ugly laws which went all over the UK Canada and the US which were laws that said if you looked a certain way and you were on the street the police had the right to detain you and remove you and unfortunately those laws generally fell to disabled people so if they looked a certain way or they looked they looked you know not could not what whatever was appropriate at the time if they had a 
deformity or a disability or some kind of thing that made them look different, the police could remove them. So oh, wow. this, of course, fell fell on disabled people. So yeah. what I'm what I'm doing by sharing that is saying we've had centuries of of history and and wrong beliefs that have taught us that disabled people, even before we talk about sex, disabled people are wrong period yeah, full yeah. stop so then when you add in the fact that because of other laws and other beliefs around sexuality sex is wrong when you put those two worlds together it's like whoa and you know we've reached a place in the 21st century where we still don't talk about sex not because not sex and disability not because we don't necessarily don't want to it's because we don't know how to yeah, yeah. we don't know how to consider the we don't know how to consider the fact that all of us will become disabled at one point and that scares the shit out of us. So how do we then talk about the fact that when I'm disabled, I'm going to want to have great sex too. That, that whole part is scary. So rather than dealing with it, we just don't look at it at all. And that's where the problem is. Yeah. God. And like you said, yeah, people, you might have the language, I suppose, even if we think of basic sex education, it's usually like when a man and a woman want to make a baby. And it's like, well, first of all, there's so much wrong with that simplistic statement. Yeah. But people don't think of disabled people being pregnant or, you know, so that that doesn't come into things either. People so. don't think of disabled people having periods like people yeah. don't think of disabled people having hy- hygienic care. People have asked me, you know, just in my day to day, hey, how do you have a shower? How do you go to the bathroom? They, this is such a confusing concept mm-hmm. to people. Like it isn't just sexuality. It's the whole idea of disabled bodies functioning like other bodies. People don't know how to handle that because it's such a foreign concept because like I was saying earlier, it's, you know, we've, we've hidden these people away in inst- institutions, in homes, in jails, because you know they're they go against convention so it scares people and they don't know what to do with it so there's a whole bunch of like there's how many more hours do we have where we could talk about all the reasons yeah it could be a very long podcast (laughs) yeah there's so much more than just we're afraid there's just a lot of history that we're not addressing yeah well well and that's why you have your your podcast is great disability after dark where you talk about all, all this kind of stuff and you, you you're not afraid to bring sex into that which is fantastic but that seems rare you know it, you're not very common or you know unfortunately yeah i mean my show initially it started out as just a, like a a very just a sexuality and disability podcast and my goal over the first two years was to only make content about sex and disability. And like that was the reason, the reason why I started the podcast was because I had been freelancing as a, as a writer for a couple of years. And I was looking and I, when podcasts started getting really popular, I went about five or six years ago, I started looking on Apple Podcasts, looking to see what had been created about disability. And at that point, there was like one or two really dry BBC, like, podcasts about disability which were good when they were good but they were very much like white British guy talking about the history and they would be like 20 minutes and then that was it and I was like well there's nothing fun about disability here like there's no like exciting disability related pod so I was like let me just try I had a bunch of articles that I had written um for 
outlets that and I was like, what if I just turn those articles into like a 20 to 30 minute podcast? And that's how it started was me just taking my old ideas and turning them from a, an article into like, let me just talk about the thing I just wrote about and just see how it lands. And let me just put out there what I want to put out there. And then it, then it grew into like, after two years of that, I was like, I want to do more. I want to bring guests. I want to bring people on. I want to bring, like, I want to tell stories. I want to tell different aspects of disability. And so Disability After Dark initially was like a cheeky, like, ooh, what are the sexy things we do after dark? And now it's turned into like, we need to shine a light on this stuff because all this stuff and all these stories about disability, whoever they are, about are being kept in the dark and are not being talked about. So it just turned into like, really, it, it transitioned from it's going to be a sexuality podcast to this really cool, like idea that I had to just tell story and tell disability story. Yeah, and it, well, that visibility is really quite priceless for for a lot of things, you know. And and yeah, I suppose like once you get started, you're like, there's so much stuff. Like you know, you're you're gonna be doing that for for a long time. And even you know, like that visibility is really important. You know, I I, I spoke with um Robin Wilson Beatty on the podcast before, and and she suffered a spinal injury, um later in life, and and she was saying, you know, she was going through the rehab and stuff, and they were like, oh no, you're you're just not gonna like be interested in sex so sex just wasn't really a part of the rehab and she was like uh well I would like to have sex after that and stuff so that was a particular point from her but you know would you find that as well that sex just isn't a consideration in like disability services or living alone or you know all those kind of things sex is just missing yeah I mean there's so many there's so many areas where we could talk about that like in rehab and when you go see a doctor like they don't talk to you about sex. When I lost the ability to urinate a couple of years ago, my muscles stopped working and I couldn't pee on my own, which believe me, that was a mind fuck of epic proportions. Yeah. But one day I couldn't pee anymore and I didn't pee for 24 hours. And I was like, this feels really scary. And so I went to the hospital, they put a catheter in. I had the catheter in for a few months, which was uncomfortable and horrible and I hated it. And after that, I went to go see a urologist and I said to the urologist, um, what, are, what are the next steps? What are we going to do here? Like, how can I go pee? Normal? Like, how can I function? What can I do? And he goes, oh, you'll just leave the catheter in forever. It'll be fine. And I said, I had to stop the doctor and say, hey, doc, I'd like to use my genitals to have sex again, please. Can we find another way? And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess you'd want to do that, hey? And I was like, you guess? As if I was simply going to say, like, oh no, I'll just stop my sexuality. Like, so I remember being so upset because I was like, how can you not, why are you, you're, first of all, you're, you're a man too. Like, why are you not fighting for me to have a, a, a happy, a happy sex life? Like, forget even healthy. The idea of just having a happy sexuality was like, didn't even factor in for this doctor. And then, you know, if we talk about things like, living alone we have marriage laws in canada the u.s australia um and the uk that says if you're somebody living on social assistance benefits like i don't know what they are in, in ireland but i know in the uk they're like pip benefits if you live on those kind of benefits and you move in with somebody your benefits are either cut off 
Oh, I've or heard that. Yeah, yeah. Heavily. So the idea of living alone and having no companionship, the law doesn't care. The law is like, oh, we provided you housing or we provided you subsidy. Great. Who cares if you're happy there? Who cares if you're okay emotionally? Like you're just supposed to take it. And so I wish the laws would take into account how important it is for disabled people to have a, a sex life or intimate, not even a sex life, but just intimacy with another human. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a basic human need, regardless of, it's of an, ability. It's a need. And it, these policies seem to forget that because these policies are created by people who are not disabled yet, yeah. who have not experienced disability yet. Um, and so they, they write up these policies without thinking about the impact it will have on somebody. Yeah, yeah, which is just ridiculous in, in this day and age. Um, you, you know, I think I think you, what your work is really good for highlighting stuff like that. Like, I, you know, I might have heard that before, but I wouldn't really have known that that's like a worldwide thing on all those places and the work that you're doing, like the ugly laws, I didn't, that's new information. So, you know, and it shouldn't be down to you to educate people, but your your work is, is, is really educational. But even your your Instagram you. is just, no, it's, it's incredible. But even your Instagram is like, like, you know, it's a picture of you lying on a man's chest and it's like, hey, I, you know, I like nipples or whatever. And it's like, it's just so lovely. It is just a lovely, warm vibe off it of like, here I am just existing. And um, I think they're really powerful images in, in their own right then for that. Yeah, I mean, those images, I've, I took those images with my primary sex worker, John. We work together now for four years almost which feels like a really long time and you know being that it's a pandemic it feels super long ago yeah, yeah. but like he is somebody who I really love and respect and care about and um those images I said to him like one day during the during a low point in the pandemic when the numbers here in Canada and in Toronto weren't super high we said let's you know do a photo shoot together and so we did one when it, when it felt safe and we'd all been tested and we were safe and so we did it um, but those images are important because we don't see disabled people engaging in pleasure or having intimate touch, mm. not even like explicit sexual touch, just intimate touch. Like the stuff I've showed on Instagram is, you know, very Instagram friendly. But if you go deeper into my backlog, there's some dirtier stuff that I've done. But like those, those images, images I think are important because they highlight that disabled people deserve intimacy yeah absolutely and on your own terms as well you know we were at a conference a, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago something I don't know I can't remember times and I was speaking about the devotees and that's people like who fetishize you know people who have a missing limb or something and how um disabled people in porn are often extremely fetishized and it just feels very exploitative and a bit nasty a lot of the time but your 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 whole work is kind of taking a stand against that and just showing something in really authentic ways but there's there's a lovely kindness and a hotness to it as well like it's really hot the stuff that you're doing it's not just like um you know pity porn or anything like that it's just like this is a really hot picture okay that's kind of cool yeah I mean to, to speak about devotees like it's funny because a couple of weeks ago I talked to a couple who met on a devotee site and I talked to a man with a disability and a woman who is his devotee girlfriend and I went in kind of thinking all of the same things that we have been told about devotism. And when I talked to them both, I was like, 
oh, why are disabled people so afraid of this? Like we should be, we should talk about this more and we should talk about the mythology of what people think a devotee is versus who they actually are. And so I talked to this couple for like an hour and they were so kind. At the end, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go on one of these sites and find somebody that's attracted to me for being disabled because I don't think somebody being attracted to me because I'm disabled is a bad thing. And I think disabled people have been fed this narrative that if someone's attracted to you because you're disabled, they're a creep. And I don't necessarily believe after talking with a couple of devotees now that that's true. I think if you are dehumanized in any way, that's a huge problem. But if somebody says to me, Andrew, I think your wheelchair, you and your wheelchair is so fucking hot. And I want to, I want to get to know that or be a part of that. Or I want to fuck you as a result of that. Why is that a bad thing? If they, but if they said to me, Andrew, I want to make you more disabled than you are to satisfy some, you know, thing of part of me that, that I have an issue with. Yeah. But it's going to cause harm. (laughs) Yeah. If they're seeing my disability as a, as a selling point, which I do all the time, like on my, on my Instagram or my Twitter, I'll say like, you know, come touch my joystick. Like, you know, our toy, our first toy will be called the, the handy joystick. Like we, we play with the fact that we're disabled. So in my view, in my estimation, I think other people, whether they're disabled or not, should be allowed to as well. I think that the disabled community, we're so afraid to let people in because we've been hurt before, but I am just kind of reaching this place where I'm like, come in. And if you make a mistake, I'll correct you. So we're, we're afraid to let people in. And I think, you know, we have to let non-disabled people into our experiences as well because how are we going to move the needle forward on disability justice and disability knowledge if we don't if we make it an exclusive only only disabled people can be a part of this club that doesn't seem very fair and so when I see people saying things like and I see this in the disability community all the time when I see disabled people saying stuff like oh you're enabled I'm always like, that doesn't sit very nice because what you're doing is you're shutting down a conversation. You're shutting down a chance for them to learn. I mean, you said a minute ago how like my my social media is like an educational platform and I've kind of taken on the role of being an educator. I have done. So part of that is letting people come in, say ableist shit and me gently being like, okay, let's unpack that together. Let's talk about why that was harmful or why that's problematic instead of fuck you, you're an ableist. Like, how dare you? And like, I could do that. And I'm well within my rights to do that. But I think that doesn't help. That just hurts everybody. That just hurts everyone. And if I can use my platforms to be, to educate, even when it's hard, I'm going to do that. And you do that really well as well with with the kindness that's there as well. But go back to your um your point there about um the sex part of things of you know the the films you've made you've been very conscious about using your wheelchair and using your hoist as part of the content and I like that you're not you're not pretending you're not disabled in in the content you're making it a very obvious kind of point of that and that that to me reads as like really really empowering and it was really interesting to watch it um talk us through that whole process because you, you made these films with john as well who you've worked with you were saying for four years yeah. now so talk us through that whole process 
Well, I was contacted by the porn company. They had said, we want to do a special thing on our website for our two-year anniversary. We want amateur dudes to be in, to just emulate what's already on the site. So pick a video from our site and remake it as yourself. And he said, I, I've worked with, it was for Davey Wavy, who's a big like gay YouTuber and they're like, he's very popular in, in the gay world. And so like I, I'd worked with him before and he knew that I wanted to do some porn. He's like, I know you want to do this. this is right up your alley. Would you want to, would you want to be in a production? And I was like, sure. Great. And he goes, well, okay. You're going to have to find a scene partner. And without even blinking, I was like, John's who I want to be with because I know John. I trust John. We've had sex before. Like I know him. I don't feel uncomfortable with him. Like, sure. So I emailed him and said, listen, do you want to come do this with me? Like, I'll make sure you get paid. It'll be fine. Do you want to do this? And he was like, okay, sure. And so we spent probably about two or three weeks looking over what, which video my, which video I could emulate as a disabled person. And then when he got here the day on the day of filming, we spent probably about two hours blocking the camera and deciding, okay, do we want Andrew's wheelchair in the scene? How is the wheelchair going to be shown? And I said very explicitly, I want, there's a scene where, there's a part of the scene where he takes me out of my chair the way that I would normally get into bed. And he does that as part of the scene. And I said, I want that in there. And I want all those things in there. And I want you undressing me. And I want you positioning me. And I want you like grabbing the hoist for sexual pleasure. And I want all this because that's how I have sex. And people need to see it. I don't want it to be cut so that it looks super sexy. I want the real. So I, I, I wanted the real. I wanted how you, how you, like, how I really have sex. I wanted people to see that. And he understood that. So we really, the scene was just us having our regular session like we, all, like, like, like we did once every two weeks. But there was a friend of his there filming. And like we, we filmed it on an iPhone. Like it wasn't, there was no production value at all. It was, he, John brought a light from his house because he, he makes his own porn. So he brought a light from his house and put it there and we filmed. But it was, when I look at that film, what I see is, yeah, it's a porn, but also it's an educational film. Like I've used, people, conferences have said to me, can we, can we take that film and use it as like an educational piece for educators to see how, disabled people have sex or for like care workers or for like, so it's gone around and I've shared it privately with other disabled folks who've said, I want to see something like this. And I'll be like, guess what? I have, I have this for you. Um, because I just think it's so valuable and I'm so proud of what we did. And I mean, who knows if I'll make another one because, you know, we're in a pandemic hellfire, but if the chance arises, like I would love to, because the more, especially in, the gay male aesthetic it's very white very cis very able-bodied and like i i would be lying if i said part of me didn't want to be like the hottest disabled gay male porn star ever like that'd be, it would be great it would be such <laughs> such an important thing to do so but like you're well on your again, way so you know because it, <laughs> it's really hot like it's just you know it, it it's just fucking in glory you know like it's really hot so like you definitely succeeded in that part of things 
and I, I'm not sure I sent it to you right I sent I think I sent I've it seen you. bits and pieces and stuff online and yeah it's like oh this that's kind of really cool okay well I will send you the whole I, I have it so I'll, I'll transfer the whole thing if you want I, like, happy days have a look at it. this is one of the joys of doing this podcast <laughs> happy days that's yeah. brilliant but I, I love that and I think you know the work that you're saying um you know, like you were saying in your bio there, you've spoken all over the world about and what it means to be a queer cripple. Now, obviously, those two words are contentious in, in some areas. And I feel really uncomfortable saying the word cripple out loud. Like that seems like I'm really uncomfortable with that. Just, but that's part of your... Just say it again, because I, I love it when you... I love it when people who... I love sitting with people in their discomfort when they no, say it's a, so it's like, oh, so, it again. <laughs> no, because like queer cripple, it just seems, oh, I can feel my face is going red now and everything. I'm like, it, yeah, it's a it's slur. Kind of adorable. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you get that reaction I mean, a lot? I get people saying, "Oh, that feels weird. Oh, that is uncomfortable," and I say, "Yeah, man, that's the point." And I use that language very purposefully. I would never call another disabled person that if they were not comfortable. I use it only for myself to make the point about ableism. And anybody who's listening who doesn't know what ableism is, I'll just really briefly say, it's a system of discrimination against disabled people in favor of able-bodied people. So when I talk about being a queer cripple, it's me saying I am reclaiming queer, which has been a slur against against like sexuality. I was gonna say like homosexuals, but really if we look at it, it's just a queer, it's a it's a slur against sexuality, period. And then cripple, which has been a a, a slur against disabled people but again if you look at the history of the word cripple in like 1845 that's just what you called a disabled person and like there was no inappropriate connotation to it that's just what you called a disabled person so i think the way we look at language has has evolved and then devolved and then revolved back to it other ways so i think we have to very when i listen to the way people talk about disability language and I'll give you an example my mom uses the words in the phraseology of special needs when she describes my disability but that's because when she was raising me back in the early 80s that's the language they used to describe disability with special needs so you have to listen to how the person is how are they using it is it done with a malicious intent then it's a slur is it done in a way that's just them trying to learn? If it is, great. I think we as disabled people, and for myself, just to make myself happy and to make myself less angry all the time, I, I started to listen to the tonality of how people use the words and realize, oh, they're not trying to hurt me. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. I'm not going to jump down. I'm not going to jump down their throat because they they stumble on something if they were like oh my god Andrew, you're a cripple fuck you then okay that's a problem but if they're just like you know talking it out with me i'm not gonna that i'm not gonna start a fight what's the point yeah 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 well and and you you do get you get a lot of positive feedback like you were saying for the vis- visibility around sex and disability but using language like that how what what are the responses from other disabled people in the context of sex in the context of sex, um, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the person. Some people like person with a disability. Some people like disabled person. 
Some people like Crip, Cripple. It really depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah. And that could change at any moment. So again, I think we really have to listen to how it's being, how the, how the words are being used. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah, that's absolutely part of it. And uh, well, your, your, your visibility as well is, you know, you were saying you have the hashtag um, disabled people are hot. What's that like? That's a, a Twitter hashtag, I'm assuming. Um, what, what, yeah, I mean, me about that. it kind of, it kind of died now, but I started it in February 2019. I was bored one day and I just went on Twitter and I typed in, before it was a hashtag, I just typed in the sentence, disabled people are hot, period. Because you know how sometimes when you're on Twitter, like some accounts will just type in a sentence and the, the thing will go viral. And I was like, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to try. It probably won't go anywhere or whatever. So I, I tried it and I was like, I like that. And then I put it in the hashtag just to see, because I was like, I'm sure another disability rights activist has used disabled people are hot as a hashtag. It must have been done. And I very quickly saw that it hadn't been done. And I was like, oh, there's something here. So then I made up a tweet that was like, if you have a picture of yourself that is that makes you feel sexy or good about yourself, put it under the hashtag disabled people are hot. And so I did that. And I got a couple of responses and a couple of likes right away. And I had five or six retweets by the time I went to bed and I woke up the next morning with emails from France from the UK from LA from like a whole bunch of magazines and I had 20 20 plus like 200 plus like um likes on there and I was like what is happening here what's going on and very quickly uh it it was on uh the last leg in the UK that like BBC4 show they, it was really quickly gaining gaining traction, and I was like, "Oh, there's something I can do here. This isn't this this is important." So I kept it going for like probably a few months, and then as things as most things do in, in the social media world, it died out. But it was a really nice minute of like the BBC was calling me saying we want to have you on to talk about it. Like outlets in France were calling me. Like That's really LA cool. was calling me. <laughs> Yeah. It was cool for a minute because because I'm not somebody out there who goes out there and looks for fame and looks for like, I want to do this. But it was cool to have all these big brands saying like, oh, can we work with you? Can we do something with you? Because I do most of my stuff from my bedroom. So that it was a really different experience. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And and of course, you shot your porn film in your bedroom as well. Did any of the, these news outlets ask about that as well? Or were they like, oh, we'll just pretend the porn part isn't there? Because sometimes yeah, they're not no, great I, about that. Well, like the cool thing about BBC, BBC, when I was talking to them about disabled people are hot, we also did a story with them about how I hire sex workers and about the time oh, I cool. told my mom that I hired sex workers and they they talked to my mom on my mom and I together on BBC and like that was cool and like like you know when I did the porn some gay outlets like out.com and the advocate and queerty did some stories on me about it um so I mean that was cool particularly for the the niche community that I'm a part of the gay male community for them to see a sexy disabled person owning their sexuality hey I can do I can do just a, just as hot a porn as you can do here it is like that was cool yeah that sounds fantastic and and again nice and shame free as well and obviously like you're you're not alone in the fact that 
you're a disabled person having sex but sometimes the media and society would have you think that you would be so that's a really nice bit of visibility yeah. there so that's fantastic and then and then going forward then um we're, we're handy and, and you have your toy coming out and stuff like that sounds like the next few months are going to be ridiculously busy for you and you're going to be gifting orgasms to the world which is always a lovely thing to, to do so are you really excited about that <laughs> Yeah, we're really excited too. Next month is Masturbation Month. So I'm not sure when this will air, but May is Masturbation Month. And so we're getting ready to do some stuff around that. We're going to like, you know, we're going to hopefully keep selling the book and I'll just plug it really quickly. If anybody wants to buy a book, they can go to thatshandy.co and they can pick up a physical copy for 50 US dollars, which I think right now on the time of this recording is discounted for like thirty four ninety nine or something, um, and then they can get a they can get a a digital copy and an audio copy, which is read by me and and one of our other our other handy team members, um, and so you can hear us like read the book to you. So you can get the digital copy and the 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 audio copy for fifteen U S dollars. And what's great about that is that every dollar from the book sales, we don't see any of it. It doesn't go to any of us. It goes directly into the production of the toy. So when you buy a book, what you're actually doing is you're buying an orgasm for, or like a sexual experience for a disabled person. And you're buying, you're basically, you're giving a fuck to a disabled person. You're saying like, (laughs) let me put money into this so that disabled people can have a toy that works for them. And so well, that's why we're really excited by the book because it's not just by our cool book we made. It's like we want to create social change and we're doing that this way. That's fantastic. I mean, like I don't need much reason to buy books, but if a book comes with an orgasm, it's like happy days. That's <laughs> even I mean, better. Great, so, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah. So so going forward then, you know, um, you've, you've got that's handy, you've got the toy coming out, you may or may not do some more porn. What else is, is lined up on the, on the plate? Because you're definitely a bit of a workaholic. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> I'm also like the world's biggest procrastinator in the history of <laughs> the world. So thank you for saying I'm a, I'm a workaholic because I never feel like I'm doing enough. Thank you for that. <laughs> but but I mean, I want to do more podcasts. I want to do more like Twitter stuff. I, w- I want to just share my opinions with the world. But I'm also having been kind of a self-made internet person. Like I'm, I'm reaching this weird, happy place of I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm just going to do what I want and like be happy about it and not worry about like, because, you know, in our, in our culture right now, it's so easy to be canceled for making a mistake or to be, you know, so I, I'm just kind of putting out the stuff that I want to put out that is, um, you know, that makes me happy, that makes me feel good, that brings me joy, and not so much worrying about like, oh my God, the numbers, oh my God, the, I have to be an Instagram star, I have to be a Twitter or whatever, like, or, you know, not worrying about whether or not so-and-so will pick up this and will do, will pick up the story and just putting out good content, putting out stuff that people want, taking mental health breaks when I need to, and just kind of hoping that people resonate with what I do. Sounds like a good recipe for happiness and peace. So yeah, you're right. absolutely I mean, good on track. At some point, it's just it has to be about what makes you feel good, and less yeah. about like about like 
churning out that content because after a while it gets, I've been doing it now for 10 plus years and it gets, you just start to, there's all this self-doubt and it's like self-worth around how many followers you have, around how much content you're making around, is it good enough? Am I comparing myself to like other creators and other disabled people? And it's like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to just put out my stuff. And if it resonates, great. And if not, great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's way more authentic the way you're, you're doing it there, which is fantastic. So, uh, Andrew, I think, you know, we could talk for hours and we'll definitely have you back on the podcast once the um, the product launches and stuff as well. Um, we might try and do a little video one for that or something to show off the product because I just think that's incredible and going to change so many people's lives. So that is absolutely fantastic. Remind us again um, where people can contact you if they want to reach out. Yeah, they can reach out to me personally on my Instagram or Twitter at andrewgerza underscore. Uh, they can also follow my me personally at www.andrewgerza.com. I'm going to be reviving my blog on that site because I haven't done blogging in like a good long time. So I decided to, re- to revive that. They can also follow my podcast, Disability After Dark, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, they can follow uh, my sex toy company, Handy on the socials at that's handy with an I at the end on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and they can email us there at get in touch at that's handy.co. Fantastic. See, I told you you're a workaholic. You can find you everywhere. So it's definitely true. So many things. I'm kind of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is an absolutely good thing. So listen, thanks Emil Andrew for, for chatting to me today. You're fab. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I, I would love to come back if ever there's an opportunity. Absolutely not. We'll definitely we book you in for that. So yeah, sex toys for disabled people. We'll have a full episode on it. So that'd be fantastic. So fab. Um, and Amazing. thanks, Mel, to all my listeners for tuning in today. Um, like I said, if you want to get in touch, the Instagram and Twitter is Glow West Podcast. If you want to support the podcast, it's Patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. And I'll chat to you next week.